church, the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor, the seven last churches of the first century church. Uh, and we started in chapter two, and our series is entitled Level Up. We want to rise to the standard who is Jesus Christ. We want to have him say, well done, that our church, that our individual lives are aligned to what his requirements are. He is the standard. He is the standard. So we want to level, we want to level up. And we're going to be looking at the second of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I ask that you would follow along with me in our study. We will be uh, starting the third church on next week. But beginning in the eighth verse of Revelation chapter 2, we read, And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things say, the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy, the slander, the lies of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And here in verse 11 it says, And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Amen. Praise the Lord. Petition denied. Petition denied denied. Recently, I had a difficult assignment of ministering to two professing Christians. Both had been healthy all of their lives. They had served in their churches faithfully for many years. They were good spouses and loving parents. They were well known in their well-loved and beloved in their communities. Following routine examinations, they were diagnosed with terminal illnesses. The prognosis for their life expectancy was weeks to days. They were understandably totally shocked and in disbelief as all of this seemed so unreal. They hoped that someone would pinch them and awaken them for the nightmare to end. When I visited the first Christian, he waited until everyone left the room, and he asked me, how long had I been a hospice chaplain? And I replied, I've been a hospice chaplain for 16 years. I've been in the ministry at, for 40 years. And he said, well, pastor, I'm a deacon at my church. I've served the Lord faithfully. I've loved him. I've I've, I've witnessed for him. He said, but my question is, in all of the years that you have 
served in the capacity of a hospice chaplain and you have seen a person with my diagnoses, how many of them have recovered? How many of them have lived? And I gave him an honest answer. And after I gave him an honest answer, I prayed with him for a miracle. Three days later, he died. The second Christian started crying when I entered her room. She talked about all of the things she once could do but no longer was able to do. She couldn't walk. She, couldn't, she could not uh, toilet herself. And there were other things that she was now limited in her capabilities to do. She shared how she had made handmade clothes as a ministry to her church for the poor. And she asked, why would God allow this to happen to me? Why is God angry? Why would he do this to my family? Why isn't God answering my prayer? What makes God think it's right to ignore me? Now, as I reflect on the experiences of these two professing Christians, who petitioned God, who pleaded with God, who begged God, asking him for supernatural healing. This, what I've discovered is that this dear woman, unlike the first gentleman, had not grown to understand and to accept that sometimes God denies our petitions when we pray. Sometimes God says no to our request because he always knows what is best and he will do what is right and best according to his purpose. Sometimes God says no. And the question is for us is when you, when you petition God, when you go before God, and the Bible says be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication and petitions, let your request. When you do what God says, you are pleading with him. You are begging with him. You are crying out to him for the, from the depths of your heart for an answer regarding your healing, your finances. A child that's getting ready to stand before a judge who's going to make a decision. And God doesn't say yes, but he denies your petition. How do you respond? How do you level up in your faith? How does your walk with Christ continue to line up with what was required when God denies your petition? As we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, in our series Level Up, we read about a church that historically has been called by theologians the suffering church. Smyrna is called the suffering church, the church that petitioned but got denied. Listen to what is recorded in verse 10, and it's a re I'm repeating it again, but it says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. They were already suffering, and the Lord said, don't be afraid because more of what you are experiencing is coming. 
The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, God says, Jesus speaking, I should say, he said, I will give you the crown of life. Unlike the church of Ephesus that we learned about on last week in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where the Lord rebukes this loveless church and, 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 and admonishes them to keep the fire of passion burning, you find no such rebuke for the church in Smyrna, the suffering church. And so that, that's what makes it baffling and confusing is while he rebukes and threatens the, Ephes the church at Ephesus for not loving him as their first priority, he doesn't rebuke the, the Smyrna church, but they are allowed to suffer. They are allowed to suffer. The congregation was serving faithfully. They were in the sin of the will of the Lord for their life, yet as they suffered, the, the, the implicit cry, while you won't find the word prayer in this, this section of Scripture, the fact that the Lord says that I know your labor, I know your faithfulness, uh, he, this, this was a praying church. They did not want to go through the pain and the issues and the pressures that they were under. They cried out to the Lord. But instead of him saying deliverance is coming, instead of him saying that the suffering will cease based on your petition, the Lord responds by denying their request. The Lord leaves Smyrna's, the Smyrna Smyrna church in the fiery furnace. The petition was denied. What are you praying for to the Lord right now that you would rather not be going through? What have you been talking to the Lord about out of the depth of your heart? I mean, some of us have prayed so long and, and been so discouraged by the fact that the Lord has not answered the prayer according to our petition that we're not viewing it as denied. We just simply have taken it that God has not, God has, has not heard us. And for some, that not, not only have we taken the position unconsciously or subconsciously that God is not concerned about what, we, what matters to us most, some of us have found our faith weakened because what we prayed for, God didn't say yes. You don't read that their petition for suffering is recorded like in the book of Esther. You never read the name of God. But in every single chapter of the book of Esther, God's sovereign presence in the, the situation of the nation of Israel jumps off the page. And the same is true in verses 8 through 11. Their petition is there, and that's why Christ responded to them in the manner in which he did. Now, stay with me. We're, gonna, we're going somewhere with this. I want you to first of all consider, there are going to be four things that I want to consider. And the first is that the place you live may be beautiful while bitter at the same time. You may be in a beautiful home, situated on the top of the hill, have all types of toys and luxuries and all of the things that we call the American dream. 
while at the same time you are living a living nightmare in your home situation. The place you live may be beautiful while bitterness, while bitter at the same time. The city of Smyrna was the most beautiful of the seven churches of Asia Minor that are, are that is now currently modern Turkey. It was the place to see because of its buildings, because of its uh, scientific or medical advancements. It was the place the learned went uh, to visit the library in, in Smyrna. It was, it was a wonder of its time. It was a beautiful, beautiful city. And it's interesting to me how in my line of work, I can visit people in the, the, the most beautiful neighborhoods and you would never know that on that same street where lawns are perfectly manicured and, 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 and houses are so well kept that in that very same block, there's someone on that beautiful street that is dying of COVID-19 or someone is dying of some other incurable disease on the same block. The place you live may be beautiful, but that doesn't mean that suffering won't visit that house. It doesn't mean that smiling faces aren't lying about what they're agonizing through in the midst of their apparent uh, successes. The name Smyrna means bitter. Although the city is named after the perf a perfume fragrance it manufactured and sold, myrrh, that was also used in, as incense in the temple. It was used uh, for anointing uh, the bodies of those who died, uh, undertakers or morticians back in ancient days would also use myrrh or the bitter herb of, of myrrh, the perfume of myrrh for embalming purposes. Uh, myrrh was used also as a part of an ingredient for municipal purposes. It was used for, for, me, for making medicines. And so while this plant called myrrh had many positive benefits, if you were to drink myrrh raw, you were asking for a death sentence. And so the very fact that one thing could be used for beautiful and positive purposes, the same, the same perfume could become a deadly, a deadly, uh, a, a, deadly a, a deadly drink if you were to use it improperly. And so the city of Smyrna was known for its manufacture of this, this bitter herb that was used in a positive way but could also kill you. It could also kill you. The city was under the authority of the Roman government, and its primary religious, religious practice was the worship of the, of, 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 it was Caesar worship, man worship. We call uh, 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 Caesar worship what, where, where Caesar was actually worshiped as a god. And uh, one of the things that was required in this particular city, that if you did not bow down at the statue of whoever the Caesar was at that particular time as emperor of Rome, then now you were going to be persecuted. 
Now you were going to be, you're going to be ostracized and you would suffer as a result of that. And so the Christians in Smyrna did not bow down to Caesar as God. And that was a decision they made because of their commitment to Christ. I want you to understand that the worship of man is not new. And one of the things that we're seeing unfold before our very eyes is that when someone under the influence of a demonic spirit is, has charisma in a position of authority, if, if, if people are not structured and under the sound teaching of the word of God, they can be deceived into following a man and be willing to die for the man because what has happened is God has created us to be worshipers. And when we don't worship God, we will substitute God for images that, got, images that are from the creation of God. Listen to what Paul says. And we stay with We get somewhere. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter uh, 1. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what sin will do when we turn our eyes away from God and his word. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Since we were created to worship, what we do when we take our eyes off of God, we will substitute something in his place. And I believe that we have nothing less going on in this country right now is that people have bowed down at the foot of a man who has been used to deceive thousands. The Bible even talks about in the end times that there is going to be a one world leader who will be empowered by, the, by a, the false prophet who will perform signs and wonders. And the scripture says that if it wasn't for the fact that God, Jesus, returned in, within that seven-year tribulation period, if he didn't return quickly, the Bible says even the very elect would be deceived. And I believe that there's a spirit of deception and delusion that has overtaken America that we have now turned our attention from the true and living God and we have surrendered to a political party or an individual where we are actually willing to risk our lives, our future, our reputation in order to please a creation of God rather than the creator God. The city was under the authority of Rome. This was a place where there was Man worship, the worship of Caesar as God. Now, the good, the good life for most wasn't experienced by all. Christians were literally experiencing bitter suffering. How many of you know that, that the Lord never promised us that in this world we would not go through something? This is the issue with Christians. We, we, we don't want to experience pain. 
And then when it occurs, we act so overwhelmed. We act so bold over. We act like this. I done prayed. I done fasted. I done been in my word. I even gave a tithe three weeks ago. I can't understand how to. Why? Because we don't know the word. Here's what the word of God says. Dear friends, dear children of God, do not be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught unprepared. At the fiery ordeals, the fiery tests, the pressures, the, the tensions of life that have come upon you to what? Test you as though something strange is happening. If you are walking with the Lord, Satan is going to oppose you. Jesus said, while you are in the world, you will. We say this all the time. We will have trials and temptations. We will go through tribulations, the scripture said. And beyond that, he says, they will, the world will hate you because they hate me. And so you might be thinking, God is mad. God must be angry. He's ignoring my prayer. Look how good it's going. It seems like the evil are prospering, and I don't know why I'm still trying to hang on. You just need to be clear that when you take a stand in a wicked world against the enemy, the, the, the Bible tells us that he will come against us. But the good news is this. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I am more than a conqueror. I am an over, I'm not will be an overcomer. I am an overcomer in Christ. It's one thing to say that you are. It's an entirely different thing to walk in that spirit and that that victory when you are under attack. Some of us are under attack right now. But we don't understand that the reason that we're under attack is because God has allowed it and his petition from us is being denied for, for at least four possible reasons. Sometimes God has denied our petition because of disobedience, because of sin. The scripture says that God chastens those who he loves. There may be an area in your life where you have not repented, you have not surrendered it to God. And so what God will do until you get the, until you render that area to him, you'll find this chastening rod on your backside. David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body waxed old. He said, I prematurely aged. I couldn't sleep. I found no peace. I couldn't enjoy my celebration. In the, I went to the house of the Lord, but I didn't have a hallelujah to give. I didn't have a I thank you, Jesus, to give. Sometimes we'll fake it and act like we do, but the Spirit of God is not at liberty in your heart when there is sin that you have not repented of. So sometimes God is disciplining us. Sometimes God will allow trouble in our life to test us, to develop us. James said, consider it all joy, count it all joy when you, not if you experience, but as you are going through your test, rejoice. Don't wait until the battle's over. Some of us need to learn how to shout in the fire. Some of us need to learn how to raise our hand and say, God is good. Some of us need to say, come on, devil, I'm going to trouble my troubles. God is trying to develop us. Sometimes God is trying to teach us dependency. Paul says, I saw heaven in a vision. God took me there. And he said, what I saw was so beyond 
imaginations that I don't even have the words to articulate it. But the Lord has prevented me from telling you what I saw. I believe the reason God didn't allow Paul to tell what he saw was because that if we knew what heaven was really like, there'd be people committing suicide to get there. So he said, I couldn't tell you what I saw, but what I do know that he allowed the devil to afflict me, that I might learn that his grace is sufficient, that his strength is perfected, not in spite of my weaknesses, but because my weaknesses. And so God was teaching Paul, and he's teaching us, Dependence, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm going through, my prayer life is, is, is pretty on target. My prayer life is, and God don't have no problems hearing from me. And so maybe God is trying to get you to get on, to, get, to stop trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. Sometimes God will allow us to go through testing because he wants to demonstrate his glory. God wants to show you what he's capable of doing when you are facing your Red Sea situation. God didn't have to lead the children of Israel to the Red Sea. He didn't have to allow the Egyptians to be right behind him. He didn't have to put them in a position where they had nowhere to go, but the, they, they couldn't do anything but look up. But, of course, they didn't do that. They cried out and said, Moses, why? Why did you bring us out? And then the Lord spoke to the prophet Moses, and the Lord said, tell the people to shut up and, and see the salvation. Oh, God wants us to see his salvation in the midst of your bitter place. I don't know. you. All of us are going to go through Smyrna at some time in our lives. He wants you to see that he will part your red sea in the midst of your, your bitterness. The Bible says they walked through on dry land. But the water was real. The pain was real. The, the, the fear of death was, was real. And so the place may be beautiful while at the same time bitter. Are you in, in, in Smyrna right now? Are you in a bitter place? I want you to know when we respond properly to our bitter places that, that the bitterness, when I, the Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. What the myrrh was in the temple, it was a sweet-smelling aroma that would rise up to heaven to God. When I yield to the Lord, presenting my body as an oh, a sacrifice, that means I'm, something's dying. That means that something had to suffer, that something was crucified. When I present myself to God, Faithfully, that, that sacrifice is like a sweet-smelling aroma rising up into heaven, into the nostrils of God, and he's well-pleased. Here's the second thing. The personal nature of Christ remains unchanged even when he denies your petition. His nature doesn't change. His character, his perfection, it doesn't change just because you didn't get what you wanted. Listen to how he introduces himself to the pastor. He said, to the angel, to the messenger of the church of Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, who died and came from life and came to life again. It's like he died, but he sprang back into life. That's the literal meaning. He sprang back into life through the resurrection. 
He said, I know your afflictions. I know the pressure that you're under. I know what you're going through. I know you feel like you're at the end of the road. I know you've come to a place where you say, I don't, if any, one more thing happens, I'm just going to crumble under the pressure. He said, I know your affections, your afflictions. And he says, I and your poverty. This, was, this word literally means they had nothing. They had lost their jobs. They had lost their homes. They were living from day to day. These would have been people that we see in front of uh, Wawa's begging because they refused to bow at the foot of a, of a, man, of a human-made God. Yet you are spiritually rich. Oh, I got the spiritual rich part, but this stuff hurts. I know about the slander, the blasphemy of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. They're under the authority of Satan. Now, what is the significance of how Christ introduces himself? He said, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the one who was dead and now has sprung forth from the dead. I want you to know that there, just like God, the Father has many names throughout the Bible. And each name of God represents a particular perfection of his divine attributes, his divine character. And some of the attributes of God are communicable. The Bible says that we are made in the image. We have communicable beings that they are transferable to us. We are created in the image of God. There's some things that are like God that we, that we possess as human beings. And then he has some what are called incommunicable attributes, that God has things that are true of him that will never be true of you or me because he's God and we're not. But every name that God gives to, gives to us about himself represents a particular perfection, and attribute. Well, the same thing is true that Jesus has multiple names throughout the Bible. And whenever he uses a different name, it's always based on the need that we had at that time. And it always shows a perfection of his. And the interesting thing is that the hell that you're going through right now in your life does not mean that it's hell, hellish in heaven. That his nature has not changed. He said, I am still the first and the last. And that speaks of the eternality of Christ. Christ has always been and always will be. We talked about, so he, so he said, so the, he, so the first part of his name, let me not jump in. He reminds the church of his deity, that he is God, the God man, his deity. He is God in human form. These are the words of the first and last. When Jesus refers to himself as the first and last, he's talking about his eternality. He is without beginning and end. He is the beginning and the end of everything and everything in between. He is the Alpha and Omega, A, B, C, D, E, everything in the middle. Jesus is that. Not only is Jesus saying that he is eternal, Therefore, God, because the Bible said in the beginning was the word before there was a beginning in eternity past. The Bible said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus always existed as God before there was a time. The issue is we don't have the kind of words that can explain time before there was time. So when you hear the word beginning, oh, beginning means there was a start. No, before there was a start. And before there will ever be a stop, Jesus was and will be. Somebody say amen. 
Christ is first and last, always existed. The Bible says, uh, and I like this in Colossians chapter two, uh, 1, it says, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Not only was he before all things in eternity past, but he had, we saw the, the whole, he got the whole world in his head. Oh, yes, he does. All things are held together, not by the seat of the president in the White House. Oh, aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that in the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I then saw the Lord. I hope you understand when you witnessed what was going on in Washington, you needed to take your attention from what was going on there in terms of the despair that it could cause and see that the same God that Isaiah saw high and lifted up is yet seated on his throne because he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, you can, write, you can, read, you can record that as a scripture that talks about the eternality of Christ. Now, the significance of the eternality of Christ is that it means that he's God. Only God is eternal. Jesus is, has always been God and always will be. Therefore, you can trust him to not only be with you, but the Bible says we can cast our cares on him. No matter, he's, that, he's that person in the foxhole with you. When, when, when it gets the hottest in your circumstance, when it seems like your back is up against the wall and there's nowhere else to go, there's, you're, you're, you're flat on your face and you're crying out, you can always count on the fact that the one who is the first and the last is right there in the foxhole with you. He is the eternal God. That didn't change because he said no to your petition. He's still the first and the last. Remember that. That's the deal. We, we can't, when, we, when you're in a plane, one of the things that happened to JFK when that plane crashed, that the, there was a storm, and, and you couldn't see. The, the, the moon usually will light up the shoreline, and because he couldn't see the shoreline, he became disorientated. He experienced what, what, what pilots experience that are inexperienced, in, in particular in flying, is vertical. And so up seems down, and down seems up. And what they tell you to do when, when you cannot see the shore, and when your mind is not working, right because it's under physical duress trust the control panels don't trust your feelings don't trust how you think things should be trust the control panel I want you to know that you can trust the control panel of the Word of God even when you cannot see the shoreline in the midst of your storm he reminds the church of his humanity he said I am the one who died and came to life again, sprang forth. If you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. He says, I am he. Present progressive tense, that means I was and I continue to be and always will continue. Say with me. And so his, his, his resu- uh, the, 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 when he talked about his humanity and how he was dead, it speaks of his incarnation. The Bible says that the world became flesh. Jesus took on human form. And the disciples said, we beheld, we saw with our own eyes his glory, the glory of the only Mogo Ganesh, the only unique son of God, the only one of his kind. He took on human form. He left the glory of heaven. He left the riches of heaven that he might become poor, that through his death we would become rich. Paul said he made himself of nothing, no reputation by taking on the very nature of, of a servant. He didn't take on the servant's nature, the sin nature, but he took on he took on the very nature of a servant. He became like a servant. 
He said that Jesus said it this way. He said, I did not come to be served, but I've come to serve. Being made in human likeness, the incarnation, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. And by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so the resurrection speaks of Jesus' incarnation. Uh, I mean, uh, when he talks about humanity, it speaks of his incarnation. It also speaks of his propitiation. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead and is uh, is alive today means that the anger of God, the word propitiation means to appease, to satisfy, to avert the wrath of God. It's kind of like you you and I, because of our sin, we were in a track and a a, a speeding train was coming and we were destined to die. But you remember Dudley Do-Right and back at Bullwinkle and all those guys? Some of you are too young for now. Jesus was the God, Jesus was the champion that not only snatched us from from the track, but he took the hit. And by dying for us in our place, that would have been one thing for him to die. But it didn't mean that the anger of God was appeased, that it was propitiated for. But the fact that on the third day he rose, that means that God, not only Jesus saying, I have all authority and power, means that God is pleased that Jesus satisfied the requirements for his righteous indignation. His resurrection says, because of his humanity, his willingness to come to flesh, that now my sins have been said, the payment for my sins. It also speaks of his resurrection. Uh, the resurrection speaks of the propitiation. It speaks of his, the justification. God looks at you just as if you've never sinned. It also speaks of the mediatorial work of Christ. Christ is our umpire. He's the one who is in heaven advocating for us right now. The Bible says there's only, for we know that there's only one God and one mediator between God and man. The man is Christ Jesus. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go through a shaman. I don't need no Iman, you don't even need me as your pastor. You can cry out to God right now, and he will hear you. The resurrection assures us of our future glorification. So not only does it speak of mediation, justification, propitiation, and the and, and, and the uh, and also his incarnation, it assures us that one day we're going to be glorified. We're going to have glorification. The Bible says, beloved, it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when Christ will appear, we will be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. And so the assurance in the midst of what I'm going through, I have total confidence that the Lord, that the Lord is with me. And so the the nature of Christ doesn't change because he didn't say yes to my petition. He's still the first and the last. He still is the one who was dead, but now is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's the third thing. The the pain we are experiencing does not escape his notice. He says, he informs them, he says, I am aware. Order, the word, the Greek word for aware is order. It means to be experientially aware. He says, I'm in the room with you. I'm helping this baby to be delivered. I see the blood. I see the tears. I see the agony. He said, I know that you're going through. I know that you're going through affliction. You're suffering for my sake. You're in poverty. You're being lied on. I know that your fake friends that say that they're Jews, and this is what makes it hard. These were Jews who were professing, some of them to be believers, who were saying that they were of the seed of Abraham, but they were really emissaries in the church, working against the church, exposing their own family to Roman authorities to be persecuted. He said, I know that they're slandering you, they're exposing you, and your lives are being lost because of it. Paul said, if it had been an enemy, I'd be fine. But here, here's some things you need to understand. So he also informs them of his answer to their unspoken petition. 
Let me give you four quick things to answer when, you, when God says no to your petition. Understand that terror, the fear that you're going through is manageable. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Not only were they about to suffer, but they were all presently suffering. Although troubles are real and are coming, they don't have to terrify us. America, we are on the verge of, who knows, an attempted coup on Wednesday. And if everything had gone according to plan, we would be under martial law right now. But the Lord says, terror is manageable. Uh, he says, don't be afraid. Of, the Lord already knows what we are about to face. It's manageable, whatever you're going through. Don't be, don't be terrified by COVID-19. Follow the rules, but don't be terrified. The Bible said we should only fear, don't fear man, but rather fear God. Reverence God who's able to destroy both body and soul. So understand that your terror, what would terrify others, read Psalm 91, what would terrify others should not terrify believers because it's manageable. Temp, the tempter is being monitored. The, the Bible says the devil will attack some of you. God is monitoring the activities of Satan, even in the midst of all that we're going through. The devil's not going to win. Trials are measured. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. What he's saying is what you're going through, this too shall pass. What you're going through will pass. This too shall pass. And then he says a fourth thing about not only my word, but triumph by being obedient, staying faithful even to death will be rewarded. He says those who remain faithful until the end. He said, I will give you a crown of life and you will not experience the second death. That is death in the lake of fire with Satan and demons and all those who have rejected Christ. There's a physical death where we enter into the presence of God as believers. The Bible says to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's the first death. The second death is when hell is cast into a lake of fire and the, at the final judgment and everyone that had went to hell is now experiencing, because of the lake of fire with Satan, you experience the second death, which is eternal death. He says, the benefit of not yielding and cracking under pressure, you're going to be rewarded. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a crown. You are going to get the victor's crown. The Lord said, I'm not ignoring what you're going through. I have something that will bless you in the midst of what you're going through. You will be rewarded for your, the Bible said, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. What are you going through right now? I want you to know that the Lord has a crown that he's preparing for you. And why, see, the, the, the important thing, it's interesting, that the things that the Lord says he's going to reward us are in the future tense. And so what he's saying is in the midst of whatever you're going through right now, as a believer, when he says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, what that means is I can see in the future the, the invisible as if it were visible. Because what God has said is going to happen, it's already, it has already occurred in God's mind, and therefore it's just a matter of when it's going to happen for me. And so I want to look beyond. He says, don't look at the things that are on the earth, but look up to heaven. Look beyond what you're going through. Make your focus Jesus. The Bible says, uh, keep your eye, make Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith, keep your eyes on him in the midst of what you're going on in your family, in the midst of what is going on at your job, in the midst of what's going on in Washington. Keep your eyes on him because you will be rewarded and you will not suffer the second death. Let me conclude with this. Here's some practical applications you can apply during this time that you need to understand and accept when God says no to your petitions, when petitions are denied, the Smyrna church in a place of bitterness. First of all, 
we understand that sometimes God doesn't answer our petitions because of personal sin. David prayed for his son, who God said would die, die as a result of his adultery. He prayed until the day his son died. The reason his son died was because of David's personal sin. So God will say no to your prayers because there's sin in your life. Secondly, impure motives. The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 2, we have not because we ask for the wrong reason. You're asking for somebody else's husband, somebody else's job. You want somebody else's ministry. You want somebody else's prominence. You want somebody else's favor. And if it's it, kind of like Saul, David said, I'll fight Goliath. And, and just, 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 just show me where he is and I'll fight. And then Saul said, okay, let me give you my armor. And David put Saul's armor on. And he was preparing to go to battle. And David said, I, can, I can't fit your armor. I can, I'm not going to be successful with your armor. Even if you got what, you, what you've been praying for, if the armor, the armor won't fit because it's not intended for you. Take, that, take those five smooth stones in the slingshot. Take the fact that God has given you victory in your past life in spite of what you may lack that others seem to have. Just understand that you've slain some bears and lions too. In the name of Jesus. Impure motives, fake, failure to ask. The Bible says the reason your petitions have been not, you have not because you ask not. Some of us just haven't prayed. When's the last time you prayed for somebody? When's the last time you prayed for this country and prayed for the president and, and some of these other things? We have not because we ask not. Here's another thing I've already said, a spiritual development. Paul says, Lord, I prayed three times that you would move this storm from me, that you would heal me from this coronavirus, that I would not die, but I would live. And Paul said, God says, no, prayer, petition denied. But here's my answer. He says, I want you to understand that my grace is sufficient. I want you to know that there's a better resurrection. When even the Christians that have died during this, many of them unnecessarily, foolishly. But sometimes the Lord is saying, I want, to, I want to use even their example of not being obedient. I'm not saying that everybody that died of corona as a Christian was in sin. No, we are in a world that the Bible says is sin cursed. And we're not immune from the diseases that others are exposed. We can be healed and we believe in divine healing, but we're not always healed until we get to heaven when the Lord makes it told. Here's the final thing. We need to understand when we, our petitions have been denied, that God has something better. Paul says that God will bless us beyond what we can even comprehend, what we can even, even formulate to pray for. God has something better. That's why the Bible said the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that can be, cannot even be uttered. There's some things that the Spirit will pray as we're attempting to pray according to the Word of God, which is the will of God, that we don't even know how to articulate to form the words. And then when, it, when we're ready, sometimes God is waiting for you to give you the answer to the petition for your marriage, for your children, for your job, for that condition that you're in. God was waiting for you, and when you are spiritually ready, he said, the reason I didn't give it to you when you were asking for it, I had something better. I had something that would cause you to praise me. I had something that would cause you to know that the only way you have this, the only way you made it, the only way you're not crazy, the only way you didn't give up is because I am the one who brought you to this place even though your petition was denied, I had something better. Let's pray.